Sometimes you might wonder, you know, is this God calling me or is this not God calling, calling me? But here's, here's one thing I want to simplify right now. And uh, I'm going to give each and every one of you a call that God has given to you. And it's something that you are divinely called to do and to be. For every person in here, God has called you to be a saint in a world that's in desperate need of them. Uh, God has called you to be a saint. He's called you to be a holy one. And that's really what the word saint means. It means a holy one. Uh, One who has been made holy. It's a good Bible word. And the word saint, uh, we're uncomfortable using it sometimes because there's a lot of theological baggage associated with the word saint. Uh, On the one hand, you have like actual technical definitions of saints given in some religious traditions where, uh, you know, there's several things you have to have done, including perform miracles and things like that. And so sometimes that makes people a little skeptical to use the word. Uh, But then also there's just the idea that saint sounds so pious. You know, for me to walk around and say, well, I'm a saint, uh, people think, oh, he's arrogant. He thinks he's better than everyone else. You know, that's it's just, uh, it's just like religious piety overflowing. And it, it's kind of, it can turn people off to, to say, well, I'm a saint. The problem with that is that the Bible does use the word, and it's actually an important word, and it's an important thing to, to consider. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to actually look at uh, two primary passages in the writings of Paul that deal with our call to be saints. And I started off by saying you're called to be a saint in a world that's in desperate need of them. Because really what the word saint has to do with is holiness. And when you look around the world, you just don't see an awful lot of holiness. When you look at the way that people tend to live their lives, holiness often isn't a defining feature, a characteristic. We live in a world where there's violence run amok. I mean, there's, whether it's between nations, whether it's between individuals, whether it's in cities, whether it's in schools, you can see violence all over the place in our entertainment and in our, like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's actually one of the forms of entertainment that people enjoy the most is different forms of, of violence. We live in a violent culture. Um, we live in a culture where speech is often anything but holy. Uh, in fact, words that, uh, you know, should make people cringe in topics and jokes and things like that become rather commonplace. Um, we live in a culture where sexual, sexuality and, and sexual appetite is, is nothing more than the mere accumulation of pleasure, often at the expense of other people. Uh, we live in a world that's very comfortable objectifying others for personal sexual gratification and, uh, and, and pleasure. We live in a world where... Um, Sex is something that we would like to receive and enjoy without commitment, or it's something that we like to receive and enjoy without promising or any oath to another person. Sex is something that people try to get as much of as possible with as many people as possible in any way possible, and those are all things that are inconsistent with the idea of, of holiness. And, and we're surprised when, well, there's problems that emerge because of that. Problems relating to uh, consent and problems relating to, you know, properly understanding consent and, and problems like we live in a world that wants as much pleasure and gratification as possible 
And whenever you, you have a community and everyone's seeking personal pleasure and gratification, sometimes what brings this person pleasure isn't the same thing that brings this person pleasure. And then all of a sudden they realize that there's a conflict of interests and one person becomes mistreated because the other person actually is getting what they want. And you have oppression that takes place. And, and you see that all over the place. You see it with greed. You see it with sex. You see it with hurtful language and words. You see it with violence. And wouldn't it be nice if we lived in a world that was actually characterized by holiness. Um, the, the book of Leviticus is, is largely about some rather foreign in our minds concepts of holiness, but the overall question of the book is God has freed the people from Egyptian slavery. He's now going to live among them. The end of the book of Exodus is about God building a tent in the, or the people building a tent for God in the middle of all of their tents. Like, they're going to live in the wilderness, they're all living in tents, and they're going to be traveling there for a while, and there's going to be one tent right in the middle, and that's God's. So, like, imagine if right in the middle of your city was God's house, and that's where he lived, and that's where you would go to, to visit God, or to, to draw near to God, or to worship God, and, and you would go to his house right there. Well, on the one hand, we could say, hey, that's exciting that God chose our city to live in. That's, that's a wonderful thing. And he redeemed us and he freed us so that he could live among us. But on the other hand, it's kind of a terrifying thought uh, because there's a lot of stuff that happens in cities that God might not like very much. Uh, how do you have like the eternal, holy, pure, good God live amongst a bunch of wicked and sinful people? Well, that's, in, in essence, the question Leviticus is trying to, to grapple with. How does God live among these people? And the answer is, he's going to transform you so that you can be holy as he is holy. Because a holy God around an unholy people is a really dangerous thing. So God has to transform the people to be a little bit more like him, to, to echo his holiness into the world around them. Well, that's not just the Levitical idea. That's actually the idea that we as Christians are still trying to embody. How do we embody God's holiness in a world that's desperately in need of it? And one way to do that is by actually taking up the calling to be saints, to live as saints. That, that's what the word means. Holy ones, some of your translations might say. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, we learn about this call that God has given us. And some of your translations may vary on the word that's used. But chapter 1 of verse 2 says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints, or holy ones, by calling, or called to be holy ones, some of your translations say, who are in every place, uh, or sorry, who all, uh, with all, who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. All right, so you read that passage and several key ideas emerge. One of them is the word sanctification. If you are looking at this in English, you might see like the word sanctification and the word saint, or perhaps the word sanctification and the word holy ones, and not notice that that's actually, there's a big strong connection between those words. In Greek, it's going to be the same root word. Uh, sanctification is being made holy, and saints is holy ones. And so what he's saying is, you are being made holy by God who called you to be holy ones, who called you to be saints. And not only you, but also you are saints together with uh, people in every place who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. So in this passage, you have God is calling us to be saints, 
He's making us saints, and he's uniting us together with saints all over the world. Why? Well, because we are supposed to embody and demonstrate the holiness of God in a world that often is in need of it. When you talk about a world that's in need of saints, a world that's in need of holiness, looking at the ancient city of Corinth, you get that same idea. Uh, the, the ancient city of Corinth was a pretty wicked place. It was a place that was uh, defined by prostitution. It was a place defined by, uh, by greed, by idolatry, and, and a lot of the same things that might plague our world were, was plaguing their world, and they actually had a reputation for that. If you're going to have a city like that, and you're going to transform lives and bring goodness to a city like that, it's important to have some saints there who will actually demonstrate and show what the goodness of God and the holiness of God is all about. Now, like I said, sometimes the word saints can make us uncomfortable. Um, we would prefer, a lot of times, in fact, I think I probably hear it more for people in church or for Christians to say, look, I'm, I'm just a sinner like everyone else. We're more apt to call ourselves sinners often than we are to call ourselves saints. And I get that. I understand that. And I, in some ways, I can appreciate that. Um, in fact, last week, our lesson was called as sinners. This week, we're called to be saints. And, and those are not mutually exclusive ideas. Uh, God calls sinners, but he doesn't call us to remain sinners. God calls sinners, but he doesn't call us to be defined as sinners for the rest of our lives. He wants us to be transformed or sanctified from sinners to saints. Now, I get why we would want to say we're sinners, because, well, on the one hand, it is uh, it's more accessible to the rest of the world who might be looking for uh, people who aren't going to look down on them, and we say, hey, we are sinners just like you are, uh, and we're all striving to be something better, but that's something that, that unites us, the fact that we're all sinners, and, and no one wants to appear arrogant, and so, you know, Christians, I think, have adopted a mindset where we're much more comfortable calling ourselves sinners than saints. I would caution, however, that if we get so comfortable calling ourselves sinners and we stop calling ourselves saints, we might actually forget what God's call to us is. Um, if I'm always calling myself a sinner, then maybe I'm comfortable being a sinner. And if I won't call myself that challenging word saint, then all of a sudden I don't really have to live up to that. Saint puts expectations on you that sinner doesn't. So on the one hand, sinner is nice because it levels the playing field. Saint makes us really uncomfortable. But saint also is a word that if we're trying to reach out to those around us, it could be a word that provides hope. Yeah, you're a sinner. That's, that's, that's what you are. That's what we've all been. But you don't have to stay that way. And we can offer something that will pull you out of that status. Because the reality is when you read through the Bible, like read through the letters of Paul, read through, he actually doesn't call Christians sinners very much at all. That's not a normal designation for sinners. He doesn't say, oh, the, the church at Corinth called sinners by God. Like that's not, that's not the language that is used. The word saints, however, is used quite a bit. Um, often when sinners is used, when talking about Christians, it's as a rebuke saying, stop being sinners. Uh, you sinners, you know, you wretched people. Like in the book of James, it's thrown out there to talk about people who love money more than God and who have made friends with the world, and he calls them sinners. Uh, it's not a good thing. And so while I get the, uh, the desire to be humble and to call ourselves sinners, 
we should never do so at the expense of recognizing that God has called us to be something more than that. It, it's also helpful to note that the word sinner, if what you mean by that is merely a person who sins, yes, that does define all of us because none of us have reached sinlessness. However, that's not usually the way the Bible uses the term sinner. It usually uses the term sinner as a lifestyle defined by sinfulness. Uh, and God calls people who have been in that lifestyle out of that lifestyle. So we as Christians, will we attain perfection? Will we attain a, a life of sinlessness? Uh, I think you're going to have a lifelong journey, and that will not be a destination you can reach on your own. Uh, I think it will be a lifelong battle. We are called to engage in the battle. But through that engagement, God is transforming us from sinners is what we were on our own to saints are what we are through the power of God. Don't be afraid to take up the mantle of holiness and to say God has set us apart. God has called us to be sanctified. He has called us to be saints. And I'm going to live in that now. Because one thing that that does is it not only transforms us, it not only unites us with all of those who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus, but when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, you see something else that we are called to. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're looking at the word called here in, in 1 Corinthians, you'll see it in this first chapter quite a few times, uh, and you'll see that you were called to be saints— and you'll see that you were called into fellowship with Jesus. Those two ideas have to be read together. Um, Jesus is not going to have fellowship, uh, a, be united with sinfulness. One of the ways that we end up uniting with Jesus is through the transformative sanctification and forgiveness that God offers. When you are cleansed of your sins and transformed into the image of his son, that's how you end up having fellowship with one another who have gone through that transformation and into the image of Jesus himself. And so we get fellowship through sanctification. We get fellowship with one another and we get fellowship with God. We need to be careful that we don't diminish that powerful and challenging call to stay comfortable and stay with the easy idea that, hey, we're all sinners in here, and, uh, and we know that's just, that's just who we are, and there's not much we can do about that. Well, God is saying, I want you to do something about that. I'm calling you and challenging you to do something about that. Be something better than that. Be a saint. Live as a holy one, separated from the world of sinfulness. It's tough, but that is something that we're called to do. It's actually a defining call of, of who we are. Um, the other passage I wanted to look at, it comes from the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and it deals a little bit more with this idea that we've been talking about. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll see this idea emerge again, that we are called to to be holy ones, or called to be saints, or called to be sanctified. And in that, it's going to change the way that we live. It's going to change the way that we behave. It's going to change who we are as people. Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians is, is an awesome book, um, because it is written to a young church, a church that Paul was not able to spend very much time with, and because of persecution, Paul had to like flee for his life. You can read about it in Acts 17. Well, imagine starting... You know, Talk to any missionary and ask them if that's a good uh, place to be when you start a church. Hey, start a church in a foreign city. 
and then leave in like three weeks because things are so hostile there that uh, people are going to die if you stick around. And then uh, that church doesn't have a Bible, you know, or at least a, a New Testament. That church, um, it has not been able to be taught very much of what Christianity is all about, and they're just kind of left on their own to deal with persecution and to deal in a hostile and sinful environment, good luck. That, that's kind of the, the situation the church at Thessalonica, or Thessalonica was in. And so Paul is worried sick about this church, and he's really hoping this church does well. And so he ends up sending Timothy to go back to that church and to go find out how they're doing. First Thessalonians is written upon Timothy's return, and he says to Paul, hey, guess what? I have excellent news for you. The church is doing really, really well there, like surprisingly, amazingly well. Uh, even though there's been persecution, they're still faithful to you. Uh, they're sharing their faith with others. They are uh, demonstrating what the, the love of the brethren is supposed to be. It's like there's a, it's a wonderful church. It's a happy story. Uh, a lot of times when you read different books of the Bible, it's not always a happy story. First Thessalonians is a happy story. Um, there are a couple of things, though. After three times in the first three chapters going on and on about how thankful he is for this church, he ends it with a couple of uh, admonitions or encouragements to do better. Not even that they were doing wrong. In fact, one of the phrases that he'll use is instead of like, hey, you guys are horrible at this and you need to change this, he'll say, hey, you guys are doing pretty good at this, but I want to encourage you to excel still more. Like, see if you could do even better. Uh, and so it's a really encouraging book. And then at the end of it, he does correct some misunderstandings they have about the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus. Remember, it's a super young church. They have not been grounded in, uh, in like Christian doctrine and theology. So he clarifies a few things that they were misunderstanding. Uh, so it's a really interesting letter. But right there in that excel still more section, that section where he's saying, you're doing pretty good, but see if you could do even better, he's going to talk about sanctification, being made holy, becoming saints. And he's going to encourage them to live in such a way that is consistent with being holy ones, being saints. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1 is where he, he starts to get into it. He says, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the name of the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. So he says, like, we gave you some instruction on how to live, and you're actually doing it, but excel even more at it. Verse 2, for you yourselves know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So here he's going to say, your call from God, God's will for you is sanctification, being made holy, becoming saints. Um, he's going to define that in this context by sexual purity. That's primarily what he's going to focus on right here, and that is one way that we do that. I think it would actually probably apply to a number of other types of sins also, as we started off talking about. But here he's going to talk about sexual purity, and he's going to say, I want you to excel even more at that. I want you to really be set apart from the culture around you when it comes to the way that you view your body and the way you view other people's bodies. Uh, in verse 4, he'll say, this is what he means by, by fornication. You abstain from fornication or sexual, sexual immorality, and each of you know how to possess his own vessel, uh, which may mean something like body, uh, is one way that's translated, in sanctification or in holiness and honor. Think of your body as something holy, 
as something that God has actually made honorable and holy. You're not just, you know, a, a flesh and meat sandwich that's here for a little while and is going to die. Your body is actually something with God's intentionality put into it. God created a good world, and your body is a good thing, and God has saved you, body and soul. And your hope of eternal life is in the resurrection of the body. Like, your body matters, and it will always matter, so it's a holy thing to God. When you think about pleasure, think of your body as something that's called the holiness. Think of your body as something that God has actually made holy, and it matters, and that you're you because God wants you to be you. And you're in your body because God wants you to have that body. And your body's a holy thing. And then he says in verse 5, the contrast of that, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know God. Like, the general way of the world around them in Thessalonica, that Gentile and pagan world, did not view the body as a holy thing. They viewed it as a means for accumulating pleasure. And what he's saying is don't just chase after your lustful passions like all of them, but rather chase after honor and holiness. Uh, verse 6, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is an avenger of all things, just as you were told beforehand, and, and uh, we solemnly warned you. So, Think about some of the ways in which sexual immorality can harm those around you. Uh, you can, like, by taking another man's wife or coveting another man's wife or uh, sleeping with someone before you're married, in which case you're causing that person to engage in the sin that's harming the soul in the same that you are. And all of these things, he's saying, those are things that get in the way of your sanctification and holiness. They're common in the world around you, but you're called to something better. Sex should be something special for you. It should be something that actually, with commitment, with marriage, brings people closer together. Another person is not a means to your pleasure. Other people matter more than that. Other people do not exist for you to uh, enjoy yourself more because of them. Rather, your life should be in humble service even to other people. And even, even sexuality itself is a gift from God meant to draw people who have committed themselves to each other forever into a closer union and loving union with one another to where it's a gift that you share with one another. Don't spoil that gift by making it just, you know, a, the mere accumulation of pleasure at the expense of whoever happens to be, you know, the, your object of desire. You're called to something holier than that. So then he says in verse 7, kind of summarizing, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity. That is not what you were called for. If you're a Christian, you were not called for the purpose of impurity, but in holiness or in sanctification or in being a saint. That's what God called you for. And then verse 8, I think, is a powerful reminder in conclusion as we bring this lesson to a close. It says, so he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So I've used the word holy quite a bit. We've talked about saints being holy ones. We've talked about sanctification being the process of being made holy. Uh, we've talked about holiness being the goal that God has for us. And one of the ways that God has provided for us to become holy, he didn't say, hey, grab your holy bootstraps and pull yourself up. He doesn't say that you're strong enough on your own to do it. The process of sanctification is a process that, that God is transforming us through. And we learn here that to reject holiness 
isn't just to reject the person who told you to be holy. It's actually to reject the God who lives in you through the Holy Spirit. Like, the Holy Spirit is the absolute perfection of holiness. And as a Christian, it's given to you. He is given to you. The Spirit is given to you as a gift. Live a life consistent with that Holy Spirit. And to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, but then live a life of impurity or, 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 uh, or greed or a life that denies holiness and refuses sanctification is a rejection of the gift of holiness that God has given you. It's a rejection of his Holy Spirit that he's given you. The Holy Spirit can transform you, but live and strive to live consistent with that holiness. It's a hard calling that God has called us to be. Like, he actually wants you to be holy ones. He wants me to be a holy one in a world where you don't see much of it. That's going to make you different. Sanctification, that's, that's being different by holiness. It's being set apart out of your holiness. Like, the holiness of the people of God should be noticeably different than the world around them. These are some of the ways that Paul talks about it. But are you a sinner? If you, are you a person who sins? Yes. Uh, I, I am as well. We should never forget that. We should never act like we are greater than somebody else because on our own, we are sinners just like everybody else. But we're not on our own. God has given us the Holy Spirit. God has given us a, a holy calling to be sanctified and to be saints. Don't be content to say I'm a sinner. Rather, see if you can take up the ch challenge of God to become a saint, to be known as a saint to be a saved, sanctified, forgiven, holy person, and then live a life consistent with that holy calling by rejecting the impurities that could, that could get in the way. It's not easy. You will fail, but forgiveness is part of the sanctification process also. Um, when Jesus, in his model prayer, prays for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, he also prays that you would forgive us of our trespasses. Uh, we want to do God's will, you won't always do God's will. Forgiveness is available as you continue in that process of sanctification. If there's anyone here uh, this morning who you look at your life and you recognize, I probably am not living actually like a saint. I probably am not living a life of holiness. Well, you can make that change here. You can uh, ask for the prayers of the church. We can help you in community through that process. Uh, in fact, that is, that is what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 says, that this process of sanctification unites you with all of those around the whole world who are united in calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. So you have a family here who wants to help you, and together we can work towards holiness as the people of God. Um, the challenge, as we draw our lesson to a close— just to get your attention, uh, is uh, take an honest look at your life. And if there are areas of your life where holiness isn't a part of it, whether it's the way you're, you treat people of the opposite sex, whether it's the way you treat your spouse, whether it's the way you treat another person's spouse, whether it's whether you, what you look at when you're online by yourself, like when you look at these different areas, recognize where you can excel still more, and then try to do that. Pray to God about that. Make changes in your daily routine that will bring about the holiness that you're striving for. Don't be content to say, well, it's just part of me being a sinner. Be a saint and be called to something greater. 
If there's anyone here who would like uh, the prayers of the church or would like to become a saint here this morning, naming Jesus as Lord of your life, having your sins washed away and being called to holiness, we pray that you would let that be known. You can meet with one of our elders in the back or you can sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.